Life's too short for crap marketing. The Got Marketing Podcast is for marketers, business owners, and entrepreneurs who want marketing that's fun, accessible, and meaningful. Join me, Mia Feilman, for inspired chats with my favorite marketing insiders about marketing that works, campaigns that inspire, and the fads, fakery, and false profits to avoid. Hello, friend, and welcome to Got Marketing. Today's episode follows on from a recent episode on fast-moving consumer goods. Today, however, we're going to talk about how to get your product ranged on retail shelves in major retailers. You build a brand, you think, I want to be in big supermarkets. You need to be ready and you need to know what you're getting yourself in for. And this is the bit that I talk about a lot is be careful what you wish for. If you're not ready, there is literally no tolerance. That was Tanya Boots a seasoned expert in category management with over 20 years of experience. Tanya has worked with multinational clients like PepsiCo, Blackmores, and started her journey in consumer insights, later venturing into buying industrial goods for a major B2B retailer, and then heading back to the supplier side as head of category and shopper marketing. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Hello, Mia. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, I want to start today by saying that you are actually one of the very, very few people who have successfully pitched to come on the podcast. I receive somewhere in the vicinity of about 20 pitches a week, and almost all of them do not meet the criteria for coming onto the show. So, can we start there? What did you do so that others listening can follow your lead? Yeah, oh, that's so good to hear, actually, because, uh, yeah, my expertise is product pitches, so I'm, I'm happy that it worked. Um, I think, yeah, the, the basics, uh, starting with a hook, so, you know, a really good punchy uh, description in the email headline. And then I really wanted to demonstrate that I had listened to your podcast and I talked about the fact that I think I knew your customers. So I thought I knew that your customers might be looking for more information on how to get ranged in FMCG. And it just seemed, I think, as FX, FMCG people, sometimes we we jump into a lingo and we sort of expect that everybody understands what we're talking about, but it's not the case. It is a bit of a different world. So I'm pretty sure I sort of talked about the fact that I think your customers would be interested in hearing about this. And then I kept it really to the point and um, gave you a couple of ideas about what I might talk about. So I hope, hopefully that was it. Yeah, it was absolutely perfect. What I really liked about it was that you referenced a recent episode, but you weren't pitching the same podcast episode. And that's probably one of the major reasons why these podcast pitches fail is that people say to me, oh, I, I saw you did a podcast on SEO with Marcus Dunn. I want to talk about SEO. Well, why would I want to talk about SEO again so soon after releasing an episode on SEO? Whereas your pitch was like a follow-on or like, okay, now that we understand fast-moving consumer goods, how do you actually get ranging in major retailers beyond just grocery? Because we're also going to talk about pharmacy and other major retailers like Kmart and Target. So I think that that's what was really clever about it. Yeah, and actually, now that you mention it, I I talked about a gap, so perhaps a gap in knowledge. So 
the biggest advice I could ever give to, to my clients is wander around the retailer that you want to get ranged in and look for gaps and then find a way to pitch your product that might meet that gap. Oh, I'm so relieved that you said that because there is this very dangerous narrative that is so pervasive online, which is there's enough for everybody. Okay. We don't collaboration over competition. We don't have to, I don't have competitors. Bullshit. I'm sorry. What world of economics are you living in? There, I I saw today, I'm already on a tangent. Sorry, Tanya. I saw today in Facebook group, like-minded bitches drinking wine, which I do not like that Facebook group. But anyway, a lady full tears talking about how she is now a statistic and she's two years into her business and she needs to shut her doors because she just doesn't have enough customers. And so this idea that there is enough for everybody is just so plainly wrong. Like with a low level of differentiation, without a gap, without a clear positioning or point of difference, you are literally just throwing on the pile. Yeah, and this space is just so competitive and it's so commercial. So you really want to be sure that this is the path you want to take and you have to be prepared and you have to be really data-led. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a very, um, it's not easy, but definitely worth the rewards if, if that's where you want to go with your business. Okay, all right, well, let's back up one step. What is a category manager? So start with a category. So broadly, a category is just a grouping of like products and it's generally grouped together based on a consumer need or a consumer occasion. So when you walk into the supermarket or a department store, you might see TVs and electronics all together or you might see um, chips and um, multi-pack chips, et cetera, all together. So a category is just a grouping of like products. A category manager then is someone who's employed to look after that grouping of like products and they operate it essentially like a small business. So they are accountable for sales, but for profitability, for the assortment that they have, because generally, you know, in a major retailer, it's too big. It's too big for one person to have a broad look at over all products. So this is the best way that they do it is they give a category manager this is on the sort of retailer side, the responsibility of managing that grouping of like products. So a category manager will sit on a retailer side and they will be responsible for all of that. Um, and they're often called a buyer. Sometimes I'll, I'll slip into that terminology and call them a buyer. Now, a category manager also sits on a supplier side and they are usually um, employed in bigger businesses, so global businesses, and they essentially perform the same role, but they've obviously got uh, a leaning into just their specific brands and their specific products. A good category manager and a good category captain will actually have a really broad outlook and will almost work with the retail category manager to come up with category strategy and figure out what's next, where the category's going, where the growth's going to come from. Oh, amazing. Such a good explanation. Thank you very much. And in your intro, we talked about shopper marketing. Can you take us through that? Yeah, so... A little bit different to consumer marketing in that it's very much about, and I think you and Melissa talked about this, the path to purchase. So what are the touch points that a shopper goes through and sees and does before they make their final purchase? And a good way to explain it is um, thinking about a main grocery buyer for a supermarket, which might be a mum, and she might have four people in the household, 
So she's got four consumers in her household, her husband, two kids, but she's the shopper. So she's going to have a slightly different mindset and she's going to be um, incentivized by different things. So shopper marketing is all about kind of the the last point of purchase, that point where you actually convert to a sale. So a little bit different and a little bit different in messaging, but essentially it's all about marketing to shoppers. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's a whole other thing that people don't know exists. And there's, you know, heat maps about, you know, foot traffic in particular aisles and shopper marketing is the sort of the area that decides where things are going to be laid out in the store. Like when you first walk in, what are you first going to see? Is it is it the um, fruit and veg section or is it the milk section? Like what what's first? And then based on foot traffic and, and everything, it's really fascinating actually. Yeah, it is and it's, it's got a basis in psychology. So, you know, Shopper Insights is all, it's quite scary when you actually come to think of it because you realise as you walk around a store or an environment, why things are where they are and how come they've been put there. And then sometimes I'll shop and I'll just be on complete autopilot and I think, oh, well, that was a waste all that information that they had because I am literally just grabbing and going. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, there is a science behind it. Well, all marketing is psychology-driven. One thing I will say is that I know why they put at Woolworths, the first thing you see is fruit and veg. Um, But actually from a shopper perspective, it's very impractical because then you end up having to put things on top of your bananas and on top of your tomatoes and they get squashed. So interesting how like the practicality loses out to, you know, the the other business decisions that they made to put fruit and veg first. Yeah. And there's other ones, examples like milk, you know, you want to just dive in, get your milk and get out. But the theory being that you need to go past other impulse items. So you might grab more than milk and honestly, whoever comes out with just milk. But there's also the the um, argument that no, keep shoppers happy and, and get them in, get them out quickly. So I don't know, it's, it's ongoing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So tell us what you do now. Yeah. So I left corporate. Well, I didn't fully leave, I guess. I still do some consulting, but I left the corporate world uh, about three years ago and started my own business. So I'm now the proud owner of an e-commerce store and a tea gifting brand called Inspirational Tea Co. And we do do tea gifts, we do tea gift boxes. And I think I I always wanted to do own business, but I, um, I loved the, I loved in particular the closeness to customer. So I've enjoyed building a brand. I've got a whole new respect for marketing people because <laughs> it is all a bit split up when you're in corporate. Someone else does something else. And yeah, I have been doing that for the last three years and I've enjoyed, you know, enjoyed every minute of it and, and building the brand. But what I've just started is um, recognizing that there's a lot of people out there saying, and I see this in my groups, I'm now the member of a whole bunch of different Facebook groups and whatever else, and saying, oh, so how do you get, like, retail arranging? And um, I'm like, oh, I can help. Um, So I have um, started to build some resource around that in my my new venture called Find the Growth. Amazing. All right. So how do you get retail? (laughs) (laughs) Dish. Spill the tea. Oh, spill the tea. (laughs) Should we start with do you want to? Can we go there? Yes. So, I mean, it is for many, it's the dream, right? You know, you you start a business, you build a brand and you think, oh, I want to be in the big supermarkets or, um, and, you know, it could be any any retailer, but generally one that's got more than one or two stores. 
but you need to be ready and you need to know what you're getting yourself in for. And this is the bit that I talk about a lot is be careful. You've got to be careful what you wish for because if you're not ready, and I mean there's three main areas to be ready on, and, and one is supply chain. So there is literally no tolerance for out-of-stocks. So if you can't do that and you can't replenish and you can't cope with the volumes, you'll probably last one range review cycle. Commercials, so you need to understand that, you know, the, the, the retailer will take their margin, then they'll take extra money for warehousing and distribution, they'll want help with funding discounts, et cetera. So you've got to make sure you're all fully prepped on that. Um, and then you've got to make sure you've got your pitch right so you you can actually demonstrate how you add value to the retailer. So I think, yeah, be careful what you wish for. Don't go in... Um, with don't go at it half-heartedly. You might get that sort of one chance to have a go. Understand that there's going to be a bunch of competitors in the same space. But if you if you do want to do it and you tick all those boxes and you're ready and you've got a proven sales record and you've perhaps got some customers that you perhaps got some customers that you've got data on and you've got something to really give back to the retailer, then the first step is decide how you kind of it's kind of a I guess an operational side of it is how do you get in front of them um do you need to go online and <clears throat> join up to a like Woolworths has got a a partner hub so you've got to sort of register your details and do that sort of admin side of it if it's another retailer you might need to find the buyer that you need to talk to so, so search for the decision maker this is not always easy so you can imagine they get a lot of requests bit like you and your many, many pitches. So you need to um, potentially leverage your, le- your networks on that. Um, there's people out there that can help that have those networks, so you can look for them as well. But decide who you're pitching to and then it's just the beginning in terms of research. So you need to get out there and get really clear on and spend time in store. Who are they? Um, who is their shopper? Um, what products do they have? What products don't they have? Um, go on their website. What's their strategy? Go on, read their stakeholder reports, their shareholder reports. What's their, um, what, you know, they might have some sustainability objectives that they need to meet and your product meets it. So try and look for the angle, but find out as much as you can about the customer and, um, sorry, the, the end customer and also the retailer and then get ready to write your product pitch. Such good advice. And I think a common misconception around major retailer ranging is that, oh, we get onto the shelves and then it's a done deal, right? Like that's where your job just starts. And brands that get successfully ranged in major retailers don't realize that the onus and the responsibility is still on them for all the marketing. You know, that is just literally you've rented some space now, but you you need to make sure that that product flies off the shelf. Otherwise, you're gone at the next range review as well. Yeah, and it's probably worth um, explaining. So, so range reviews, so every around about every six months, and it depends, could be every 12 months, but the retailer will look at the range, look at how it's performing, look at whether it's profitable and getting the sales it needs and then change it potentially. So they'll invite the, the people who are already on, on the shelf back to, to pitch for their products that may be flagged as, sorry, this is in the departure lounge. What are you going to do about it? What can what marketing can you do? How can you lift this? 
sampling, all that kind of stuff. And then that's the opportunity also for new um, new customers to, to come to the table with their products. And often there's something called a range review calendar, which you can find. I know the worst one is online. You can get dates of when you need to submit your stuff by. Um, and often the big retailers will plan their whole marketing calendars around those dates. So it sounds pretty intimidating. Why would you want this? <laughs> What's the upside? Yeah, I think it's the fastest way to scale your business, um, as you know, to, to get, it's the fastest way to get volume. If you think about a store like one of the major supermarkets, overnight you're in front, you're in 800 to 900 stores, you're in front of all these people and it's it's really good to think of it as real estate. I think it's valuable real estate and, and you're there. Um, so, if you really want serious growth, it is in Australia, it is, is a great way to, to get it. Yeah. Okay. So what are they looking for? What do they want? Yeah. So I think they want you to demonstrate how you will add value to them. So um, I say this a lot. This, this is what people often do. The mistake people often make is going in, you know, and saying, right, hi, you know, I have a product. It's amazing. It has and they list off the product attributes, um, you should range us. Whereas you need to reframe it. So, hi, um, I've observed your shoppers. I understand what they need. I've identified a gap and I have a product that I think will fit that gap and unlock growth. Here's the important part, unlock growth for you. So, you know, in marketing, we talk about pain points. In this scenario, we're thinking about the pain points for the buyer. So they've got pain points like, um, I want that end. You know, like when you go into the supermarket and there's the half price ends and everything, they compete for that. So they want that or they want, they can compete for occasions. So they might be, um, you know, competing, uh, chips might compete with biscuits for an entertaining occasion. So they want the products that might um, get them more shoppers to actually buy from their category rather than somebody else's. So it's all very much comes back to, and if, if you're ever writing a product that you're ever talking to them, it's how do I add value for the retailer? So that's number one. And number two, it's it's a very, as you'd know, it's a very commercial conversation. So it, it's sadly, it's not good enough to say, this will increase your sales. Like <laughs> um, You need to demonstrate things like a proven sales record or um, your access to customers, that's really valuable. Things like, um, and I've seen um, uh, products and uh, mingle seasonings. I was talking to the, the founder, Jordan, yeah. What a great and example. Yes. I that's an example. She had some great tips actually, but she's a big TikTok following or the prime drink. So if you can demonstrate that you will bring shoppers to the store um, because they're unlikely just to buy one thing, but at the very least, you're bringing shoppers to the store. So that can be valuable. Um, talking to someone on the weekend at Good Food and Wine, I was doing tea and and she was trying to break into the majors and she was clocking data like um, conversion rates. So mm. of the four people that sampled her product, how many converted to a sale? So that kind of stuff, like start gathering that data because you will you will need to sort of prove it and not just, they won't just believe you. You need to 
be really commercial, really data-led. Yeah. There is so much data in this category, as I spoke about in that episode about, you know, AC Nielsen has scan track data for every single barcode that is scanned at the POS system that is tracked and that is made available. So these buyers have access to data, so they expect that you do too. I really could not agree more with what you said about how to add value from the category. And one thing that I think people should reframe is this idea that really what a Coles buyer is looking for is how to get customers to switch from a Woolworths buyer to a Coles buyer, how to get an LD buyer to switch from an LD buyer to a Coles buyer. So what products, what new SKUs can Coles have that is going to drag customers from Woolworths, from LD, from IGAs, from farmers markets to Coles so that they can then switch? That is really the ball game. So a really good example is this Mingle brand, which is seasonings, but with absolutely no nasty. So we know that these like um, old El Paso burrito seasonings are full of thickeners, emulsifiers, preservatives, colors, all sorts of things to keep them fresh. So this Mingle brand that has completely revolutionized adding flavor to your dishes without the nasties is is a great example of a product that represents the future of what FMCG brands should be doing. You know, it's like, it's really following the trends, right? And she identified, I was at a talk and and she identified a gap. So we keep talking about this gap. So she was doing meal prep, couldn't find what she wanted that didn't have the nasties in it. So she created it. And in my experience of my um, small business, that is so often the case. So that's what gives small to medium businesses the edge, I think, is that we don't have big brand budgets and we have to be really clear on the problem that we solve and we have to have found a gap. Otherwise, we don't really survive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, often if you can identify or demonstrate that you've met the gap and you've got a proven sales record and you're agile, and it could be as simple as packaging. I've seen um, really great stuff around, say, you know, snacking on the go and somebody comes out with something that just makes it easier. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not a new nut or a new nut mix. It's just a new sort of form of packaging or it tells shoppers and consumers how to use a product differently. Mm. Um, you can be agile. Small businesses can be agile. I can get a product to market within six months, but as you know, in bigger business, like it takes a lot longer that there's all the paths of signing things off, et cetera. So that agility, um, that access to your customer and that ability to plug a gap that you've already proven is really, um, it's a positive thing, I think, for small business. I've been using Zencaster to record the Gut Marketing podcast since the beginning of the series. I chose it because it provides studio quality sound and crisp video, but on a small business budget. I had no idea what I was doing when I started this podcast, but Zencaster made the tech damn easy for my overloaded brain. Zencaster is an all-in-one platform. You can record, edit, transcribe, publish, and distribute your episodes all within the platform. If you're keen to try it out, Go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code GOTMARKETING and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all of my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. 
Okay, so now let's talk about how to demonstrate demand. And you mentioned a few options there, like sampling at markets or at food shows. What else is there to make the case before you go and pitch a major retailer? Because I think that's the key thing is it's not your first step, guys. It's not, it's not, it's not, the, it's not where you start. It's where no, you end. I think first of all is identify the niche. So be really clear on that and then kind of think about, okay, how are all the ways that I am demonstrating that my product fulfills that need? So obviously, you know, sales is one part, but growth, conversion rate, usage. So I have a tea business if I ever went down the path, would want to talk about the fact that it's potentially a premiumization option because it's tea gifting, so higher spend per purchase. So my thing to demonstrate there would be um, how do I prove that it's tea gifting? Well, I have an e-commerce store where one in four products has a different shipping address to a billing address, you know, So and I write gift notes. So little things like that that you can start to put a number behind that demonstrate that that exact use that you intended is actually being done, how it's, oh, and I think conversion and customer engagement, the lifetime value of your customer and groups that you've got potentially, one of the most powerful things is like a Facebook group that you might have of tea lovers or um, stationary lovers and you can demonstrate quite clearly you have a direct line to these people. You could ask any kind of market research question, get an immediate response. All that sort of stuff says, uh, I, I can add value. So, yeah. Yeah. I th- from my experience, I think there's a few different pathways that you can take. You can go the e-commerce route first. So, set up a Shopify store and um, start to make direct-to-consumer sales through e-commerce. That requires a bit of tech savviness and a lot of marketing to set up an e-commerce store. And then, you know, you have Shopify subscriptions and all of those sorts of things to navigate building a website. The other option that I experienced was to go through a distributor route and get into a minor uh, retailer as opposed to a major retailer. So start with delis or independently owned grocery stores, IGAs, and demonstrate demand in minor retailers and then make the case to get into a major retailer. So there's there's a few different ways to achieve the goal. Yeah, absolutely. And even just going wholesale, like most of the people I, in, in my world have a mix of e-commerce and wholesale. So just being able to be in X number of gift shops or um, clothing stores or, or baby stores, then that certainly is is of value and a, and a great place to start. And I, and I think, like you said earlier, it would be very unusual for anyone to succeed in going straight into a major retailer, um, not least because so, so you don't have anything to base, you don't have a proven sales record necessarily, but also you should iron out all your supply chain stuff first. Yeah. Well, like the the most recent example I can think of of someone that's made the transition from e-commerce into major retail is ZeroCo. They started their Kickstarter campaign, I believe, in 2015 or 16. So they have been running as a e-commerce direct-to-consumer brand for that many years before getting major retailer. Now, 
what's not spoken about is the f- the fact that there are major brands cock blocking them, right? In that yeah. category. So like we're talking Unilever, we're talking Procter and Gamble. These are the two biggest brands in the world. So um, they have probably put a lot of pressure on the category management to to not let zero co in. Um, and but they've man- they've managed to find a way because pester power of the consumers is there. So then that leads me to the next thing I want to talk to you about, which is the power of brand. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, and I think, I mean, you're you're the expert on this, but from a buyer's point of view, in, in my experience dealing with buyers, you need to, you very much need to go back to that commercial conversation and you very much need to demonstrate what makes your brand unique. And that can be a bit about, your founder story and you can use you can employ techniques like storytelling in that um, and but you definitely need to demonstrate how you've built that brand what people come to you for what they expect from you and going again back to how it will add value if you think about the pain points of that buyer and what they've got in their kind of current portfolio is there a space for a brand that represents the values that your brand does represent? And Mingle being the perfect example there of where it totally did. There was a gap there for the brand values. And um, Thank You Water is another one. Zero Co is another one where there was a, a real gap in, in what that brand represented. Mm, yeah. I, I, a lot of people don't realise this, but brand is a line on a balance sheet. Like it actually, it, it has value. So... Yeah. You've got you've got your product and your machinery and your warehouse and all of that, but brand is actually a line item on your on your P and L. So we we investing in a brand, especially something like Thank You or Zero Co, which has so much consumer loyalty. As a as a category manager, to me, that's like that's an easy yes. That's an easy yes because they've demonstrated that consumers are willing to go to a lot of effort to buy the product. You know, remember to order your refills of mm-hmm. toilet paper online, otherwise you run out of toilet paper. Like customers are working really hard to support that brand. Imagine if we made it super easy for them by putting it in 800 Woolworths stores, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, it's so much easier to grab something in your regular shop and add it to your basket than it is to go online and do all that stuff. So if you've got that proven sales record and people are already doing that, you're halfway there. Yeah. Now, can we uh, talk about the dark side of grocery? There's some shady shit that the retailers do. Uh, One of them is they will blatantly rip off your product and launch it as a private label brand. So definitely something to to watch out. Yeah, yeah. And what about even in the pitching process, Tanya? Like if you go to them with a product idea, have you heard any stories of them saying, "Mm, we won't go with you, but this sounds like something we should definitely get one of our contract manufacturers to make for us? Look, I haven't personally, um, but I think if we if we take a step back and think about the buyer and in their mind they've got their category strategy in play and they potentially know exactly 
where the growth is coming from in the future. Let's hope they do or their, their category caption has helped them come to that conclusion. And then a bunch of people come to them at the range review process and not one person comes with that, that, that thing that they needed. They need that product. So they've got a choice. They can either they can either go to an existing supplier and say, hey, we need this, or they can do it themselves. Mm. And usually they can do it themselves for a whole lot cheaper with a whole lot more margin and that's the path they take. However, as you know, you know, there's there's not the brand equity there. So I was like, I never got, we never got too sort of scared about private label in that it plays a role. And I think um, if you acknowledge, if you are pitching and you acknowledge the role that the private label brand plays in that category, but then make yours quite differentiated, then you, you can most certainly coexist. Because as a shopper, um, we all see the value in that, but yeah, personally, I, I haven't, I haven't experienced that um, exact replication. No. Well, when I was the brand manager for Vegemite, we never had that problem. No one is going to launch a private label of Vegemite, and that speaks to the power of the brand. Same deal with Maybelline Cosmetics. You're very unlikely to want to buy a private label cosmetic. However, when I was in Dips for Black Swan Dips. Um, we were const. This was a this was a really really big issue. It seems like dairy is more commoditized than other categories, and so a private label hummus or a private label tzatziki or a private label French onion was um, there was there was customer demand for that, and yeah, that was really frustrating because you know at Black Swan we would spend a lot of time on new product development and coming up with these amazing flavor combinations to come to the market with newness. And then, you know, six months later, they would just, they would take this idea and they would just rock and roll it. Yeah. And and the more commodity, like it's hard, you think about sugar and flour, it's, it must be super hard for category managers and, and commercials and brand managers in that space to say, this flour is different to this flour. Um, and the, the categories that are very commodity, more commoditized are definitely going to have more more issues with that. Yeah. The the way to bulletproof your brand is to invest in your brand. You know, the more you advertise on social media or on TV or in out-of-home media, transit media, path-to-purchase media, all of that um, is going to mean that people... People are are influenced by brands and so... And people are prepared to pay more for brands. We know that. So, um, that's the best way to to future-proof your products from from falling into that, you know, commoditization. Yeah. yeah, and create loyalists. And you can use your founders, if you're a you know, small to medium business, you can use yourself, your founder's story to get people behind you. Like the thank you guys did that really well. They just, they got a movement. You get a movement of people behind you and supporting you Um or you have a massive profile, like you won MasterChef or something. Mm. But yeah, there are ways that you can definitely um, have fierce brand loyalists, and therefore you, you're right. You're bulletproofing yourself against against that switching. Yeah, one of the things that you will be asked for when you go to pitch is your marketing plan. What should you include? Yeah, so I mean, and first of all, as you said before, don't be um, under the impression that it's their job to to market your product. It, it ain't; it's yours. So you definitely need to go with a marketing plan. You should include um, you should you should include a cross section of options around 
you know, the four Ps or what are we up to now? How many Ps are we up to now? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Um, But the the basics. So um, what sort of promotions are you going to do? What sort of campaigns you might have in mind? And be um, be a bit creative, you know, leverage occasions. So when we're in chips, footy finals, um, people will tend to buy more chips before Easter. So all those sort of sharing occasions, have a plan, have a plan for those. What else? Uh, sampling. Sampling's a great thing to do and you can you can get to a lot of people. They love that. They love you making the effort to get in store and do that sampling, talk to customers, show them your product. Pricing. Pricing falls under your marketing strategy. You should have some ideas for promotions and try and be a bit strategic about it. You know, in, in the lead up to certain events, you might decide to do a deep promotion or you might decide to just have a ticket at the shelf that just attracts more people to your product, but a bit of strategy behind the pricing without going into the sort of level of detail that would be expected from the bigger suppliers. And what have I missed? Uh, well, I guess the distribution part is sort of done. But in saying that, and Mingle's a good example of this, is they started small. So they started in uh, a couple of, I think it was a, a regional area, like a, a couple of coals, a couple of stores. But you might actually decide that is your best strategy. So you might want to be in worse metros or something that is way more aligned to your product and your occasion that your your product caters for. So I think the key in all of this is two things, a plan that has a strategy with some money behind it. Amazing. Oh, so <laughs> beautifully summarized. The other thing that they absolutely love is the magazines. Yes. You say that you're going to spend money in the magazine, which by the way, I read religiously. It's where I get all my recipes. So yeah, it, it, beauty, household, snacking, everything is in the is in the magazine. So definitely incorporate that into your um, into your marketing plan. And well, digital too, remember? Um, massive on their digital, like online shopping. Yeah. yeah everyday rewards, like if you can um, do a a collaboration or a giveaway for everyday rewards, part of those bundles that they do, like certain yeah. brands. If you spend those brands, you get double everyday rewards points. But like as you exactly as you said, Tanya, become a fanatic of how that space works. Get to understand that and all the different levers that, that come into place, like you know, loyalty programs and point of sale and wobblers and and yeah. big ends and seasonal drops, you know, like you might be like, do you know what? Let's just start with Easter in the seasonal aisle, you know, um, before looking at permanent ranging. There's lots of different avenues. Totally. Yes. Well, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so, so much. So how can people work with you if this is something that they're interested in in doing? Yeah, so I can I can help and I can give advice or I can um, help you write a product pitch. So I have a website. It's findthegrowth.com. And I'm also on Instagram at findthegrowth. So look me up uh, or reach out. Uh, I'm, it's quite a, quite a new thing that I'm building and I'm very keen to talk to more people and um, help more people to, I guess, realise their dream and understand that it's not just for the big businesses to be on the shelves in major retailers. It can be for you as well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to include all those details in the show notes. And I'm also going to put a link to this fabulous ebook that Tanya has created on getting your product on retail shelves. So you'll be able to download that from the show notes. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode, Tanya. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it, Mia. 
Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not hit that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? Podcast reviews are like warm hugs and they're also the best way to support a small business. You can connect with me, Mia Feilman, on Instagram or LinkedIn. And feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.